Amen. Please be seated. And if you happen, uh, excuse me, if you have a copy, there we go, of God's Word, I invite you to open to the book of Malachi. We'll be continuing our series through the prophet Malachi this evening, continuing in chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. This is the word of God. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. As far as the reading of God's word, let's go to him in prayer. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word, which is inspired of the Holy Spirit and profitable for doctrine reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness so that your people might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We pray, O Lord, as we come to your word to learn from you, that you would use it for these things for which you have given it, that we would be taught, that we would be corrected, that we would be thoroughly equipped. We ask, O Lord, that you would do this for your glory. We ask that you would do it for the good of your people. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. I think oftentimes I I start out sermons addressing the children, but this time I want to say adults. Think back to when you were children. And children, maybe you have done something similar to what I'm about to describe to you. Think back to when you were a child and you were making a solemn promise to one of your friends or, or maybe a sibling. And they asked you if you would really do the thing that you said you would do and you said, cross my heart. Maybe you continued with hope to die and, and the rest of that rhyme. Or, or maybe you were uh, so willing to, uh, to put yourself out there with this promise that you even said that you would make a pinky swear, a pinky promise. And so you link pinkies and you... You shake on it. You were promising that you would do the thing that you said 
you would do. You were, you were promising that you would be faithful when you did that, weren't you? Swearing, saying, I will absolutely do this thing. Well, maybe think back to another time, perhaps, and I hope none of you actually did this, but, but maybe you thought about doing that where you said you would do something, but you put your hand behind your back and you crossed your fingers. So when time came for you to make good on your promise, you were like, oh, crossies, doesn't count. You did not keep your promise then, did you? You weren't a promise keeper in that instance. You might have said you'd do one thing, but you did another. Well, that's when you were children, right? Well, think about promises that you made recently. Last week, maybe you said you would do something. Did you do it? Some of you in here are married. Think about that promise that you made. A solemn covenant with your spouse before God. A very big promise, even. Think about all of these things. Promises that you made when you were a child. Promises that you've made when you were an adult. And ask yourself this question. Am I faithful? Am I a promise keeper or not? This is an important question. This is an important question for us today. It was an important question in Malachi's day because Israel in Malachi's day has a problem with faithfulness, don't they? We see that in the text that we just read. We see that Israel is being unfaithful. They're being unfaithful to God, and they're being unfaithful to each other. Malachi points out that this unfaithfulness of Israel is most prominent in marriage in Israel. Uh, Israel is suffering from marriage problems, as it were. Two different kinds of problems, but both of which point us to this very simple truth which, which lies at the heart of Malachi 10 through 16. The simple truth that God calls his people to be faithful. Faithful to him and faithful to each other. God calls his people to be a faithful people. We are called to be faithful to our God. We're called to be faithful to each other, most especially as we see in Malachi, in marriage, husbands to their wives. Faithfulness is a mark of God's people, and it's what God calls us to by giving us this indictment of Israel. Well, how do we see these things? How, does this, how is this shown to us in this text? Well, Israel's faithfulness problem is evident in two things. First, Israelites are marrying wrongly. We see that in verses 10 through 12. That'll be our, our first uh, heading this evening. Israel is marrying wrongly. And second, people of Israel are divorcing wrongly. We see that in, in verses 13 through 16. This faithfulness in Israel is displayed in two things. Israel's marrying wrongly and thus being unfaithful to God. And they're divorcing wrongly 
being unfaithful to each other. With those two general headings in mind, I'd like us to now go to uh, the word of God and kind of unpack this so that we can see uh, where this problem, uh, or what this problem is, rather, and, and what God says about it, and why it's a problem, and all these things, and then hopefully apply this to our own lives as people of God who should be faithful. Let's look at Israel's first problem, or the first half of the problem of unfaithfulness, really. The fact that they are marrying wrongly. Look with me at verses 10 through 12. We read there, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Well, the first thing we see here in verse 10 uh, and under the general heading of Israel's marrying wrongly is really kind of the, uh, the basis of the problem, we could say. Why this is a problem, why this, this, all this faithlessness is, is such a, a terrible and heinous thing in the sight of God. We start out in verse 10 reading these words, Have we not all one Father, and has not one God created us? Malachi comes to the people with this indictment, not jumping straight into the fact that they're being unfaithful to God and unfaithful to each other, but reminding them of a very simple fact. He says to the people of Israel, essentially, you people, my people, my my kinsmen according to the flesh, you should have a closeness and a union for two reasons. One, because you are united by covenant. He says, have we not all one father? Now, this could be a reference to, to Abraham. I think in, in our Bibles, in the, or at least the, in the ESV translation, this is capitalized, uh, indicating that the translators were thinking that this is referring to God. I think probably God is the better understanding, considering that in verse 11, um, the Lord refers to those who do not trust in the Lord as daughters of foreign gods. But whether it's Abraham or whether it is God the Father, uh, the root of this statement is the same. It's simply the fact that the people of Israel are united by covenant. That if this is referring to God the Father, this is referring to the fact that he drew Israel to himself as his people. He rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He made them his particular people, his inheritance, his own nation. He made a covenant with them by their father Abraham, and he said he would be their God and they his people. And so Malachi says to the people of Israel, look here, we are united by a divine covenant. The Lord our God has taken us as his own people, made us his special possession, So why are we being faithless to one another? So he says they're united by covenant. But he also says on top of that, beyond that, even if that wasn't enough, think back to the very first man and woman. He says, has not one God created us? Is God not only our heavenly father, but also our creator? 
God has made us and fashioned us. He has created us just a little lower than the angels. Why then, O people of Israel, are you being faithless to one another? Why are you breaking all of your promises? You should have a relationship with each other. You should have a relationship with the Lord your God. He's your creator. He's your heavenly father. You should have a close and a faithful relationship with him and with each other. Why then do you not? Why are you profaning the covenant, abominating it, desecrating it? Why do you act like the fact that God has been so gracious to you is of no consequence at all? This is quite a heavy indictment, isn't it? This third part of the oracle of Malachi. But it's a good question. Why are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Why do we, who are grafted in to this people of God, why are we faithless? The people of Israel had God as their covenant in God. They had him as, as their creator, just as we have him as our covenant God and, and our creator, but we see so much more clearly now, don't we? Because of Christ. We're taught in, in Ephesians chapter 1 of all the great blessings which we have in Christ, especially of that adoption which we have through Christ. We know through Romans chapter 8 that we have the spirit of adoption. We're not only servants, but sons of God. So why would we be faithless one to another? I think this is a good question for us to ask ourselves uh, when we consider this important question of whether we're faithful people, whether we're promise keepers or not, we ought to be asking ourselves, well, we know all of these great truths about God, about what he's done for us, about what he's done for our brothers and sisters in Christ and we're called to love. Why then are we being promise breakers instead? They're profaning the covenant of God. How are they doing this? How are they being unfaithful to God in this? Well, they are marrying daughters of foreign gods. We read that in verse 11. Judah has been faithless. Abomination has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of God, the Lord which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. In other words, the men of Judah, of, of Israel, are going out and taking pagan women to be their wives. Now notice that the indictment here from Malachi doesn't say that they're taking the children of foreign parents. You remember, perhaps, that the Lord uh, welcomes even the foreigner into his people, doesn't he? In fact, the whole point of God separating Israel from the nations is so that they would be a light to the nations and the nations would all come to worship the living and true God. And you, I'm sure, remember those various instances in the Old Testament where a daughter of foreign parents was welcomed into the people of God. You think of Rahab, the harlot of Jericho, who feared the Lord 
and hid the spies, and she was rescued for it. She came into the people of God, and perhaps you remember Ruth, the Moabitess, who said, your God will be my God. She feared the Lord. And so the issue here is not the fact that, that Israel is, or the men of Israel are marrying uh, women from outside of their own particular little clan or city or clique or whatever, but the fact that they are marrying women who hate the Lord. Women who, who are devoted to other gods. The children of Israel here are, are indicted because they're being unequally yoked in marriage, aren't they? This is direct disobedience to, to God. He, he commanded that they shouldn't take uh, foreign wives from the nations around them, from, from the pagan worshipers in Deuteronomy 7. Israel has just ignored this, forgotten it. You remember last time in Malachi, we, we heard that the priests of Israel were indicted for failing to teach the people. Well, here is some of the fruit of that failure. The law is not being proclaimed to the people of God and so they're wandering off and, and marrying uh, women who worship false gods. This is, this is a danger for the people because God gave this, this commandment to his people so that his people would not be drawn away to false gods. God didn't say, well, I just really would rather you, you didn't have a nice, happy marriage, and so I don't want you to marry these women. No, these women were devoted to false gods, gods who demanded child sacrifice, gods who demanded all manner of, of perversions. And God says, stay away from, from that. Don't be drawn off by that false worship. Maybe you can recall a, a, the biggest, saddest case of this in scripture, the life of Solomon. Here's a man that God gave incredible wisdom. And while Solomon depended upon the wisdom of God to make judgments and rule his people, there was, there was prosperity. God was pleased with Solomon. Solomon was favored of God. But then eventually, it seems that Solomon began depending upon the wisdom of Solomon to make decisions. And so he thought, well, I, I suppose I'll enter into a, a marriage alliance with this country over here and take this wife who worships false gods. And well, that, that foreign woman over there who worships Moloch, she's really pretty, so I guess I'll marry her too. And instead of devoting himself to the Lord holy, he began to be drawn away to worship false gods. It's great danger for the people of Israel. And it's not a small problem is it? God calls this marrying of foreign gods, of this kind of a syncretism, bringing in false worship, false god worship into his people. He calls it an abomination. He calls it faithlessness. And he threatens destruction for the men of Israel because of that. It says, Judah has profaned the sanctuary profaned it. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. This is a big problem. It's a big problem for the people of Israel and sadly, I think it's a big problem for many people in the church today, isn't it? 
instead of young people seeking godly spouses, they are very easily drawn to good uh, qualities, fun, uh, beauty, riches, whatnot. The Lord calls his people to be faithful to him in all aspects of life, including marriage. Believers are not to enter into marriage with an unbeliever. Again, God calls that being unequally yoked. He says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And it's a big temptation for young people who, who want to be married, who desire to be married, but who perhaps are not finding a good person to marry, a godly person to marry, or who just simply think, well, the Lord's rules for our lives are stifling and I think I'd rather just live my life. Wrong marriage is, is wrong marriage. So young people, or simply the unmarried who desire to be married, I would exhort you to make sure that you marry in the Lord. Now, marriage is a great thing. It's an excellent thing. It's a gift from God, and it's a good thing. And we, I think, uh, a, a natural thing for, for people to desire to be married. But don't look for a spouse who is simply attractive or even that you have a lot of fun with. You spend many pleasant hours in their company and they make you laugh and they delight you. Those are good things, certainly. You should be attracted to your spouse and you should enjoy time spent with them. But look chiefly for someone who loves the Lord. Someone who will point you to, to Jesus and whom you can point to Jesus. Someone who will encourage you in your faith. Someone who will call you out when you sin and say, turn back to Christ, repent. Our Lord is gracious in forgiving. Someone who will encourage you to, to study God's word and to walk in God's ways. Someone who you can share the most important aspect of your life with a faith and life in Christ Jesus. Look for that kind of person in marriage. And the flip side to that, be that kind of person. I think so often we think, well, I need to find this X person, a godly person, a wise person. Those are good things. But are you trusting in Christ yourself? Do you have a life uh, marked with uh, evidences of, of faith in Christ? Or are you following after the Lord Jesus? Are you seeking to grow in, in holiness and wisdom so that you will be a good and godly spouse? That is the other side of, of that picture. And I exhort you young people, or you people who are not young and are seeking marriage, grow in Christ, trust in Christ, and seek a spouse who does the same. That is uh, the foundation for a good marriage is a 
mutual uh, trust in Christ. The people of Israel were not doing this. And the Lord said, this is unfaithfulness to me. But the people of Israel were also being unfaithful to one another. We see that in verses 13 through 16, where Malachi says, And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Israel had a problem with faithfulness to God because they were marrying foreign women and were being drawn off. They had a problem with faithfulness to each other because they were divorcing wrongly, essentially engaging in no-fault divorce. We see first here the consequence of, of this action in verse 13. The people were covering the Lord's altar with tears with weeping and groaning because he no longer regarded the offering or accepted it with favor from them. There was weeping and groaning from the people of Israel, but there was no repentance. They stand there in, in the house of God before the altar saying, oh Lord, why? Why won't you accept this? It's It's... It's a sacrifice. You're supposed to accept my sacrifices. You're supposed to look on me with favor. But they were not in their hearts sorry for their sins against their spouses. They were essentially grieving about the consequences of their sin, a, a fractured and, and messed up relationship with God, but there was no grief over the actual sin. When I was a child and my siblings and I to kind of make ourselves cry to change our parents' mind, we were usually uh, reprimanded for crying crocodile tears, fake tears. A, a type of, uh, or an attempt at manipulation. No real, no real grief or sorrow, but thinking, well, if God sees our tears, or in my case, if my parents see my tears, maybe they'll do something really nice for me. God knows the heart, doesn't he? He's not fooled by outward emotional displays which have no inward reality. So God no longer accepted their offering with favor. It's an interesting parallel between this right here and 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter deals with marriage relationships as well. Men in 1 Peter chapter 3, are commanded to love their wives and live in an understanding way so that their prayers might not be hindered. Have you ever thought of that before? 
that your sin, men, against your wives might hinder your prayers, that the sin of Israel against their wives or the men of Israel against their wives was hindering their worship, that this unconfessed, unrepented of sin kind of puts a barrier, if you will, between you and God. This ought to be a a great warning to us, ought to cause us to take stock and think of, oh, what areas do I need to repent of? If we love the Lord and we don't want our worship to be hindered, we don't want our prayers to be hindered, we, we want to love God and praise him as he deserves, we ought to think, well, I want to repent of everything that there is in my life that needs to be repented of. I don't want anything to be hindered. Not because I'll get something, but because I want to give God what he deserves. I want to pray to God with, with zeal and fervency. I don't want to sit there and think, well, I don't know what to pray or I don't know how to pray. Now, if you don't know what to pray and don't know how to pray, that does not necessarily mean that your prayers are being hindered. It could just mean that you don't know what to pray. And in that instance, the Holy Spirit intercedes for you with groans too deep for us to understand. But we ought to take stock of this, think about this, and consider whether or not unrepented of sin might be hindering us in our worship. We should ask God to reveal that sin to us so that we might repent of it and we might be restored wholly in our our fellowship with God. A right spirit renewed in us so that we can pray to God. We can worship him as he deserves. Well, that was the consequence of the people's sin. Their worship wasn't accepted. What was uh, the problem particularly? It was this divorce for essentially any reason whatsoever. The people were divorcing their spouse wrongly, or the men were divorcing their wives wrongly. Wrongly. Now, God does permit divorce in certain circumstances. In Matthew 19, Jesus, in one of his many uh, debates, well, it wasn't really a debate, it was very one-sided. Jesus won those all very handily. Jesus reminds us that God does not permit divorce for any cause, but he does permit divorce in the case of sexual immorality. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we see that uh, if a Christian spouse is abandoned by an unbelieving spouse, then they are, are no longer bound in that marriage. And an abandonment might also include things like, like abuse. Uh, but that's not what is happening in Israel in Malachi's day. The people were getting divorces for sinful reasons, for pretty much any old reason they could think of. Uh, The men of Israel were basically treating their wives uh, like they were a car to be gotten rid of in favor of the new model. They said, well, yeah, this woman has been with me for years and years and has borne my children and has been my companion, but you know what? That other woman over there looks like she can make a much better dinner. Or she looks like she'd be much more fun to spend time with, etc. They were divorcing for sinful reasons. God says, that's faithlessness. You're, you're breaking a, a covenant, a vow. Notice what Malachi says uh, to the people about the wives they are discarding. Look at how, how he describes them. The people ask 
in verse 14, why does God not accept our offerings? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth. This is their high school sweetheart, in other words, the, the one that they had been with from younger years. Their perhaps first love, uh, if you will. The one who they had been married to for, for years and years. And Malachi says, she is your companion. The one who had, had stuck with them through thick and thin. Who had, for better and for worse, been there. Supporting them, encouraging them. Being near to them. Being, being a companion. A true helpmeet. She's your wife of covenant, God says. She's your companion and your wife by covenant. The one who had made a vow before God, who had said, I will take this man as my husband. I will, I will live with him. I will love him. I will submit to him, support him. Like I says, that's the woman you're getting rid of. You're saying, well, she's been around a long time. She burnt my dinner one too many times. I think I'm going to go with someone else. God says, that is wrong. That is faithlessness. That's breaking a covenant. And why is it such a bad thing? Why is it such a bad thing? Verses 15 through 16. Malachi lists several reasons. I think we can skip back here. First, she's your wife by covenant. Did not God make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? Marriage is a covenant before God. Marriage is not just an I cross my heart and hope to die promise. It's, it's not a pinky promise. Marriage is, is a solemn and sacred covenant before God. God is the primary witness of marriage. While we have many other people who, who witness our marriage and, and encourage us and celebrate with us, God is the primary witness. Really the, the witness who, who matters and he is the one who joins those two people together. Malachi says, did, not, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit and their union? Those words, what God has joined together, let no man separate, are not just beautiful flowery words that come from a nice marriage liturgy. That's the truth of Scripture. When a husband and wife make covenant in marriage, God joins them together. They are joined, they are one. And that's one of the reasons that Malachi gives for why this divorce is such a bad thing. You're breaking a covenant you made before God. You're separating what God has joined together. You're basically saying it doesn't matter that God is a witness. It doesn't matter that God is the one who made marriage, who put us together in marriage. None of that matters. What matters is me. Another reason that Malachi gives for why this divorce is such a bad thing. Verse 15, and uh, 
perhaps this is one that we wouldn't really think of very often, what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Another reason why this is such a bad thing is because God desires for marriage to produce, if that couple is, is able, godly offspring to raise up a new generation of faithful worshipers, the covenant people of God. And so that those children would see, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, a picture of Christ and the church and would see Christ and, and want to serve him and trust in him. For, I think, practical reasons here, God is speaking to the people of Israel. They're also supposed to have godly offspring, generation after generation after generation, because Christ was coming. So the people of God were to be faithful to him, faithful to one another, to have children who would be faithful to God and faithful to each other, who would have children who would eventually, one would bear the Christ. Faithfulness, generational faithfulness until Christ came. And we ought to pray for and, and seek as much as lies within us, depending upon the grace of God, generational faithfulness in our own families. Raising up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, pointing them constantly to the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, you must trust in Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Raising generation after generation after generation by God's grace until Christ comes again. Those are two reasons. The third reason why this is such a bad thing. Because the man who does not love his wife divorces her. He covers his garment with violence. It is not loving for a man to divorce his wife in the way that these men were divorcing. This no-fault divorce, if you will. They're being unloving and in doing so, they're not being a picture of the faithful God to his covenant people. See, God created marriage to be a picture of Christ and the church. It's Ephesians chapter five. God wants his covenant people to display the love which Christ has to his church and the love which the church has to Christ, to, to the people around them. To be, if you will, a, a, a painting, a beautiful painting. And perhaps you go into a, an art gallery these days and you look at the paintings on the wall or an art museum and you think, I can't tell what that is. That's not the kind of painting that God wants us to be of Christ in the church. Uh, we should be more of the realist school, I think far less of the impressionist. We are to display this great love in, in our marriages. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. The Christ who gave himself for her washes her by his word. Husbands, you are to do that. Your wives loving them sacrificially. Wives are to love their husbands and and, and submit to them as the church does to Christ. Willingly, with, without compulsion. 
We are to display this glorious truth of the Christ who saves people to the world in our marriages. And God says to the people of Israel, when you divorce your wife like this, you're not loving. When divorce like this happens between Christian people, that picture is marred and and messed up and essentially says to the world around us, well, maybe Christ isn't faithful to his people. This is a big issue in Israel. It's a big issue in our own day, isn't it? God's people are called to be faithful. Christian people who are married, God calls you to be faithful. Now, we of course have have that remnant of sin within us. It's messes things up. We oftentimes sin against our spouses. Marriage is is hard, not because marriage is necessarily a, a hard thing and definitely not because it's a bad thing, it's a good thing. It's hard because there's two sinful people in a marriage. By God's grace, however, that in, in reliance upon Christ, that marriage can be good and beautiful and it can be a picture of Christ in the church. And we ought to strive for that. Dear people, you've, you've made a covenant with your spouse before God. I exhort you and encourage you to remember this fact. Remember that what God has joined together, no man ought to separate. He is the one who's placed you together with your spouse. And so perhaps if you are, are struggling in marriage, or if you know someone who is, is struggling in their marriage, remind them of, of this great truth. God, who is faithful to us, can help you by his spirit be faithful in your marriage. Seek by God's grace to be a, a beautiful picture of Christ and the church. Ask God to, to grow you in Christ-likeness so that you can be a better picture even than what he has already made you. And then in humble reliance upon the spirit, go out and be faithful follower of Christ, loving your spouse, even as Christ loved the church. One more point of application before we close here. I've spoken to uh, unmarried people who desire to be married. I've spoken to the married people about this truth. Perhaps some of you listening this evening either have married wrongly being a believer and marrying an unbeliever, or, or maybe you divorced wrongly. And as you read this scripture, as you hear these things, you think, well, is there any hope for me? There is. And there is great hope for you in Christ. There is glorious hope for you in Christ. You perhaps know firsthand the problems that can arise. If you, if you were a Christian and you marry an unbeliever, you know that there's difficulty that when you haven't uh, both placed your lives or, or made your lives firm on the foundation of Christ. You know that problems arise in such instances or perhaps you know the problems that arise from having divorced wrongly and maybe having gotten remarried. You understand the, the consequences that come about from sin 
But let me give you this great and glorious truth. Christ Jesus can restore broken things, can't he? Christ Jesus restores the the broken sinner to himself. He saves them. He, He washes them clean in his blood and he can use even, even that marriage for his glory and his purpose. If you're married to an unbeliever, you have great opportunity to share the gospel with them and point them to Christ, to be an example to them of a faithful Christian spouse. If you've married uh, wrongly, you can still take that and glorify God with it because of the grace of Christ. So I give you this hope in Christ. There is restoration of brokenness. There is renewal. There is great hope. To all of us, I remind you to to repent of broken promises, unfaithfulness. Repent of sin in, in your marriage or even in your pursuit of marriage. Repent of sin and then look to Christ. Run to Christ. Trust in Christ. He forgives all those who repent. He welcomes you to himself. And he calls you to follow after him. And we may do so by the Holy Spirit. Let's close in prayer. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your great grace towards us. Lord, we thank you for your word which reminds us that we ought to marry in the Lord, that reminds us that we ought not to dissolve marriages wrongly, but that ultimately reminds us that there is great grace and forgiveness in Christ for all who who sin because we have a Savior who died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. O Lord, make us a people who repent of our sins. Conform us more to the image of Christ, we ask, and lead us in your way so that we might glorify and honor you in marriage, we ask in Christ's name, amen. Let's take a few moments now to, to think about these truths, to meditate on the word preached, to uh, dwell, I think, chiefly on the fact that God is faithful to us.